Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. Before we get started, if you'd like to learn more about what to expect from this show, please take a moment to listen to our introduction episode. In this inaugural episode, the leadership of St. Ambrose University's Institute for Person-Centered Care discusses the need for person-centered practices and the goals of the Institute. This week's podcast host is Executive Director of the Quad City Health Initiative, Nicole Kartner. The Quad City Health Initiative is a cross-sector community partnership collaborating with the Institute and other Quad City organizations in creating a healthy community. Hello, and welcome to the first podcast hosted by St. Ambrose University's Institute for Person-Centered Care. I'm Nicole Karkner, the Executive Director of the Quad City Health Initiative, and will be your host today. I'm looking forward to talking with the leadership of the Institute to share with you information about person-centered care, the Institute's goals, and how all of this work is helping to create a healthier community. First, I'd like to introduce you to the first guests, Tom Higgins and Sandy Cassidy. And it would be helpful to hear a little bit from them first about who they are and how they're connected to the Institute for Person-Centered Care. So Tom, if we could, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm the founder of the Institute and and, uh, uh, also am a member of the Board of Trustees uh, at St. Ambrose, so I made a, a charitable contribution uh, to create the Institute, which um, has been a, a kind of passion of mine. Uh, I actually graduated from St. Ambrose uh, way back in 1967 uh, and uh, was active in civic affairs in, in Davenport through the 1970s uh, and then left to pursue uh, a career that I won't go into it in any detail now, but it's kind of taken me around the country and and now I live and work in the Bay Area. Wonderful. Well, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about some of your background and your expertise as we're talking about person-centered care, but let's turn for a moment to Sandy. Sandy, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to the Institute. Well, thank you. I uh, am Sandy Cassidy. I have the privilege of serving as the Dean of the College of Health and Human Services, so that is oversight of all of the St. Ambrose undergraduate and graduate programs that prepare professionals to serve uh, in health systems and in the community, uh, teachers and uh, social workers who work in a wide variety of settings as well. Um, I've been in this role as a dean now for about a decade and um, have really enjoyed a lot of the work that we've done collaboratively in the college and Tom's vision of adding an institute for person-centered care was very much welcomed by our college as so much of what we do with person-centered care aligns with the curriculum and the emphasis that we're placing on person-centeredness with the professionals that we're preparing. Wonderful. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those connections with the university. But I guess maybe first, a good place to start is just to talk about what is this concept of person-centered care? You know, Tom, obviously, this is an area that you have a lot of passion for. And certainly, the words sound like something we should all like. So tell us a little bit about what, what does it mean to be person-centered? 
I think probably the best way to look at it is from the perspective of what's wrong uh, with uh, the way the system works right now. Um, and we've looked at that and kind of came to the conclusion that it produces for, for the United States uh, very uh, mediocre results at an exorbitant cost. You know, by most uh, standards, the United States lags other uh, developed countries in what are called health outcomes. So things like infant mortality, morbidity, you know, longevity, et cetera, et cetera. We, we just don't really do as well as many other developed countries. And, and there are several reasons for that, of course. But one principal one is that, that we pay all of this money for kind of mediocre results, in part because our system is driven uh, by where the money goes. And where the money goes, by and large, is focused on the payers of health care, like health insurance companies, focused on you know managed care organizations it's focused on doctors and hospitals providers payers you know the whole gamut and not so much on the actual patients themselves you know what it is they need to be healthy and remain healthy uh, and get their illnesses and needs taken care of in a in a cost-effective and efficient manner so the idea of having a person-centered approach to Healthcare, finance, and delivery—that uh, uh, you know, to me at least, is not only intuitive, but we we can look to other countries for for examples of how to how to make that work. The second thing, you know, that that um, you know, was a real formative influence in the in the founding of this institute was a, an idea that that um, I can't claim credit for. It was in a conversation I had with a a colleague and friend, Jenny Chin Hansen, who is a past president of AARP. She's the past CEO of uh, the Gerontological Society of America. She was the longtime inspiration for the nation's best-known PACE program, Unlock. And so we were talking one day about this idea, and she said, you know, if we really are successful and making important reforms and improvements and, and, and bringing a greater person-centered approach to healthcare, we will still have the problem of who's going to do it. She said, we need to train a whole generation of people who are trained in person-centered care, who are trained in, in, in the in proper integration of, of, of social services and medical practice and you know, public policy and so forth and so on to make the system work better for the for for patients. So that's really how the idea of the institute came about. And and specifically, uh, my conviction that St. Ambrose was in many ways an ideal place uh, to pioneer this work. Um, Person-centered care is catching on now, I think, around the rest of the country. Uh, and in some places, perhaps they're even further along than we are. But it's still somewhat uncommon and it's gotten the attention of a lot of thought leaders a lot of foundation executives and so forth precisely because they realize this is something that needs to happen the training needs to happen the development of policies and practices needs to happen and st ambrose just happens to have a lot of the the levers it's got a, a good strong uh 
program at the College of Health and Human Services and has a long tradition of social justice and community involvement. Uh, it speaks to people's faith needs as well as and spiritual needs as well as to their physical needs. So that's the um, that's the, the the really the motivation for for the institute and and kind of the vision. Great. And so, you know, as you're talking about some of those items, talking about the importance of training and workforce development and influencing policy, you know, you, you are, in fact, sort of framing the, the vision that you see. What, what are you hoping that the Institute can ultimately accomplish over time? Well, I'd like us to be a model uh, by us. I mean, not simply uh, the Institute, but really the, a model of how community uh, communities go about reinventing uh, core issue like healthcare, and the best way to do that, I think, is by example. So, I, I would my vision is that the institute will and St. Ambrose will lead by example, involving you know, all of the the key kind of stakeholders, uh, both on the Illinois side and the Iowa side of the river, uh, but also bring to bear new disciplines that are, are, are crucial if we're going to if we're really going to talk about meeting the unmet needs of, of patients, the things that really do get in the way of them staying healthy, thriving in their community, developing resilience. Um, that's that we can we can at the institute I think create the intellectual uh, capital uh, and and at the same time to a certain extent be an evangelist. Uh, to all of the elements of, of, of healthcare, including the social elements, uh, so that we, we show what a community that's committed uh, to this better practice uh, can really do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I think we often remark on living in the Quad Cities is what a special place we have geographically, because most of our work does span states and counties. And so we really need to be thinking about those things as we're thinking about policy and program development. What do you think is special about the Quad City community that can really help to advance this work in person-centered care? Well, it's interesting you raised that. Um, I was in a discussion not too long ago, uh, you know, with people from various uh, disciplines. We, we happened to be at a big meeting in in New York City, uh, but but there was a lot of a lot of uh, focus in in particular in, in in building resilience among older Americans. And somebody pointed out, and it was not me. Somebody pointed out the example of the Quad Cities, where unlike other communities where, frankly, uh, I've lived in some of them, uh, where the silos are so big that you don't have people from different county, even different county departments of public health, let alone uh, healthcare systems, et cetera, et cetera, willing to talk and share uh, collaboratively around plans for improving the community's uh, uh, so, but in the Quad Cities, you know, it's pretty obvious already that we do get that. We do get people talking and sharing who ordinarily might, you know, barely know each other uh, and, and thinking about ways in which a cooperative model. So how that came about in the Quad Cities, honestly, I'm not sure I know. I mean, I've, my, my association with the Quad Cities goes back 50 years now. Uh, and as a, an elected official and, and as a journalist in the early days, 
and yet I can't quite say why the culture has has gotten to the state where cooperation and collaboration uh, are more the norm than the exception. I'm, I'm just glad for it. And we're, we seek to take advantage of it. We want to leverage that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with you. I think it is something rather rare and special about this community that there's such a foundation to build upon when you think about working across sectors and thinking about collaboration across different types of organizations. We certainly see that in the community health improvement work that we do as well. So, Sandy, let's turn back to you for a second then. You know, obviously this this idea is very bold in terms of thinking about what can be created with an Institute for Person-Centered Care. and Tom spoke a little bit about why he thought that St. Ambrose was such a natural partner for this work. As a representative of the university, what was what was so catching to you about this idea? Well, I, I know that our programs uh, were very interested in, uh, we've always been strongly interested in interprofessional education, and uh, that is working across these silos and collaborating to help deliver high-quality care, ensuring our professionals are coming out uh, to do so. And when we think about person-centered care, you know, certainly a, a central element of it is um, identifying the individual's values and preferences and making collaborative decisions for their health care. And, and one of the essential elements is that we do have a strong interprofessional team that's collaborating and working together in terms of that care, um, as well as treating all individuals with dignity and respect, co-creating the course of, of their care plan. Um, and uh, really helping be a, a primary point of contact um, and information to help get the continuum of care and the kinds of services and quality of life experiences that are specific to the individual. And so I would say, in addition to aligning with many of our initiatives in the College of Health and Human Services, many of these elements touch our core values as a university, our work in social justice, um, our work in diversity, uh, our work in um, really reaching out and ensuring um, as, as a, an important service provider in this community. Um, and so definitely the idea of an institute resonated deeply with many of our existing initiatives and in many ways has provided a lens and a framework for us to think about not only preparing strong nurses and therapists and public health professionals and physician assistants, but to prepare individuals who know their disciplines but can practice through this lens and really help us go forward. So it was very easy for us to adopt then some key work of, of the Institute being workforce development, making sure that our graduates are um, coming out with this identity for their practice, but also helping prepare the community of uh, providers that are already in practice. And um, we're you know, excited to speak with you about some of the high quality continuing education and the kind of national experts that we're able to bring in, not only to help our own students, but to help prepare um, the, the region. Um, and then also, as as an academic institution, we have resources toward research and building the evidence base 
and also saw that as another great opportunity to advance some of the, the research we were doing around person-centered care. That's great. And so, yeah, those are those are kind of three pillars for you then, right, for the institute. You're thinking about workforce development and continuing education and then research and, and thinking about how to kind of improve person-centered care practice overall. Let's just talk for a second about kind of that workforce development piece, because obviously as a university, you're working with a lot of young students, people who are interested in entering the healthcare field, perhaps becoming providers. What do you think is so important for them to understand earlier in their careers about this concept of being person-centered? Yeah, well, again, I think understanding what it means to be person-centered is an important part to pick up so that it just becomes so natural and, and such a integral part of their planning to provide care, right? Um, and again, as I said, resonates so much with the core values and the mission of our university uh, that uh, I, I believe even our prospective students who are talking with us and thinking about coming to our university understand that this is really a value added to their education. I mean, I think about in the last two years, the two large conferences that we've put on where we've been able to bring in uh, national speakers and, and thought leaders in this space, uh, that, that's something that uh, our current students benefit from uh, and take with them into practice and into their clinicals. And in a lot of ways, then they can help spread this movement on mm -hmm. person-centered care within our country and other places they may go and practice. Absolutely. So, you know, Tom, earlier you were talking about those that are currently in practice and, and providing care. What do you think it's important for folks who are currently engaged in providing healthcare services to be thinking about in order to make this transformation to become more person-centered? Well, a couple of things come to mind, and, and they tend to be areas that, that we have focused on and will focus on in in the um, conferences that we put on. But so, for example, you know, we are right smack in the middle of, of a revolution in digital healthcare, which for individuals who are particularly vulnerable individuals, people who, who live with disabilities, people who are frail, uh, et cetera, et cetera, there is a promise that, that advances in digital health will make it possible for them to receive the right care at the right time, preferably in their own living uh, situation, in their own setting, uh, in a way that, you know, we've done imperfectly in the past. And, and again, there's a lot of evidence of, of that imperfection in terms of Oh, you know, readmissions and uh, that are uh, that shouldn't have been necessary to hospitals, and and trips to an emergency room where situations could have been avoided if if the right kind of preventive steps were taking place, et cetera, et cetera. So, learning how to integrate the best aspects of of, of this digital health uh, advent really uh, could make a big difference. And then second, you know, public policy. I mean, at the end of the day, services follow dollars. They always have. And, you know, now for the first time since Medicare was founded, uh, at least, Medicare uh, is able to pay for the kind of social benefits, not as many as should be, but at least it's a start uh, for 
populations that are again are, are living with disabilities have special needs and and where a a fee for service system is is insufficient to to help them um so getting getting it right in practice is the other half of the battle thinking great thoughts is important but actually executing uh and executing well is is critically important and and i think we have an opportunity to accelerate that uh, through the trainings that we do, through the convenings, uh, and frankly, through the advocacy. So that's that's kind of where I think we can make a, 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 a big impact. And Tom, from your description of this, you know, it, it also sounds like it's really a recognition of the patient as a whole person, right? You know, really trying to consider mm -hmm. what are all the things that are contributing to their health, and then also what's mm -hmm. important to them as as an individual. So, do you do you see that there's more and more kind of understanding and acceptance of those concepts overall in the field? Yeah, I think so. I think. I mean, I I have pretty frequent con contact with uh, people who lead healthcare systems and and uh, payment uh, arrangements they know they really do know that things like housing and food security and you know adequate counseling uh, during when people are going through stressful situations these are all things that have as much to do with medical well-being and with good health outcomes as as much more uh elaborate medical interventions and and so but that's not where the that's not frankly where the dollars have been and so reinventing that is and then having a trained workforce to to implement it is is i think the has been the missing Link. Mm -hmm. And so, Sandy, that kind of comes back to your comments about the importance of workforce development and also continuing education, right? What What have you been hearing about the interests and the needs for continuing education in, in this space? Yeah, well, there are many options for continuing education these days, but I, I believe that there's been strong interest in the workshops and the conferences that we've offered and uh, hopefully that will continue to grow as uh, we become more known um, in a broader region for for this work uh, you know I, I think folks are wanting the type of education that you know allows them to make a difference and really reflect on the kind of care that they're giving and uh, person-centered care conferences that that have been put on today and I think really do have people walking out and thinking hard about why they do the things they do mm -hmm. and how they might make changes to bring a more person-centered lens and and of course the networking and the opportunity to learn from each other is a very important aspect so continuing to uh, provide opportunities uh, for abstracts and various presenters who self-nominate as well as the keynotes that we bring in I, is the way to go Great. Well, we look forward to seeing how all of this develops and how the Institute continues to grow. Uh, Tom and Sandy, thank you for bringing this concept to the forefront in our discussions in the Quad City community. And, and thank you both for the leadership that you provide for the Institute and, and at St. Ambrose. And uh, next time, I think we're going to be hearing from some additional staff that work with the Institute. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the work that's happening in those three areas of workforce development, continuing education, 
education and research. So, so again, uh, Tom and Sandy, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives, and uh, we look forward to, to hearing more as the Institute evolves. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by St. Ambrose University's Institute for Person-Centered Care and KALA-FM. We have a bonus episode this month sharing the work of the Institute for Person-Centered Care with Melissa Scherer and Ann Garten. You can learn more about the Institute for Person-Centered Care by connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to learn more about our May conference focusing on social determinants of health and person-centered principles by clicking the link in our episode notes.